Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Listen to the exciting story of the American Community Schools of Athens. Check out what drives all the members of our international community of learners as we create the education of the future. Here's John Papadakis. Welcome to another episode of the Owlcast. Each week, we choose a different protagonist in the story of ACS Athens as we explore the educational, cultural, and civic paradigm of the school. Today with us is Ada Janeskis, ACS Athens parent and elected member of the Board of Trustees of the school. Ms. Janeskis is a marketing and communications executive with 20 years of experience and is currently the communications director of House Market SA, the IKEA franchise for Greece, Cyprus, and Bulgaria. Ms. Janeskis holds an MBA degree from Southern New Hampshire University with specialization in sports marketing. She is also a member of the Corporate Responsibility Committee of the American Hellenic Chamber of Commerce. With Ms. Janeskis, we discuss having difficult conversations with your children while cultivating their empathy, trust as a family contract as children live through COVID, parents' responsibility to learn what their children already know, wearing two hats when it comes to being involved in school governance, students not hiding behind the musts as they consider their future, following your true calling, how to highlight your work ethic in an interview, taking a step back when deciding on graduate studies, and what makes a good communicator. You have been a member of the ACS Athens Parent Community for a few years now. Actually, this is your 10th year at the school. It's only logical that you have gained a great insight from your children's experience at the school through all these years. And I'm also certain that you've heard almost everything from them. Is there something that you hear or see in them that still surprises you that makes you wonder how different they would have been had you chosen a different school for them? Um, yes, I do. We actually had, it's amazing that we had this conversation on Sunday. We had uh, a discussion with the children during lunch, and it was about how they take advantage of every little thing given to them from the school, and that this school is so different than any other ones and that we really want them. They have, um, Matilda has two and a half years left, Thanasi has four and a half, how I really want them to grasp in each and everything that they get out of the school. Uh, I think if I can sum it up in a couple of things, it's how they're curious all the time, how they're very mature. And I get this from other parents, friends, not parents from the school, but other friends that we have that are outside of the school, that they're amazed on how mature they are and how they can take on different conversations and difficult conversations. And I think this is something that has come from the school. Uh, how they show empathy, how interested they are in things that are going around them and things that are changing in the world. And it's not about only Greece. It's so much bigger. And with both of them and having one child that's very much into sports and one that isn't into sports, both of them are athlete scholars. 
which is kind of very cool on how very easily and seamlessly the school creates these kind of individuals without even pushing them. As a parent, it's unavoidable to compare your own upbringing with that of your children. For the past few years, children have been living, for better or worse, a digital life, which for many parents is not very relatable with their own life experience, especially now with COVID. The epitome of human interaction, which is the school, turned also towards the digital realm with uh, online classrooms and virtual learning to be the norm. What do you remember from your own school days that you wish your children could have experienced more of? And how do you see the turn towards the virtual school? My own school days and my, I think it was more of the after school days that it felt more safe, that we could go outside with our bikes and come back when it was dark and nobody would look for us and nobody would be stressed. They just knew that we'd come back, no cell phones, no nothing. So it felt safer. I'm very sure that my parents had a lot of stress if I was okay as well as I am now, but I think the dangers now are more out there. Uh, Have we created the dangers and have we created the stress? I'm pretty sure we have as well. Uh, I'm not a very helicopter parent, so I do leave freedom, um, maybe a lot to my kids, but I create a trust first. And then, you know, as long as I don't catch them lying, so trust is a very important thing within our family, uh, I give them a select amount of freedom. In, I think with the digital part of things, because of my job, I'm close to digital. And I can understand the positives and the negatives maybe a bit easier than the average parent. So I do have rules, a set a set of rules, but I don't push it too much. And within COVID, because they lost the social part of school, so it was only online, you were online for school, and then they you, you lost your friends, you lost uh, breaks, you lost these things, you lost running around. I did allow a bit more digital because that's where they connected. That's where they interacted, whether it was playing Minecraft online with a friend, whether it was TikTok with another friend or whatever, they interacted. So I wasn't as strict during lockdown. Now it goes back to off time and go outside and run, but it kind of happened easily. I was talking with the school a lot and with a lot of members of the faculty on would they bounce back, would the kids bounce back? The, and they were, everybody was telling me, give them a week at school and they'll be normal again, and or whatever the normal is. And a week back at school, everything was smooth sailing again, which is very cool. You mentioned the dangers. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's easier or harder to find the dangers because you are, as you said, close to the digital realm? And what would you advice other parents learn learn is my advice don't be we've lived through years this i think was 10 years back where we could hear parents saying oh my kid is so literate they go onto the internet but they were illiterate and they didn't know what the child was doing on the internet learn see what's going on monitor and monitor at any given point of time 
So what I do with cell phones is I can pick it up at any point of time and go through the cell phone. They don't know when, but that's a rule. And, you know, I have a set of rules within the house. But overall, you need to know what you're looking for. And now phones, uh, they're giving us a lot of various types of technology that can help monitor things. Don't be invasive, but the children should know that you're there and you're monitoring You are a parent member of our community, but you're also a member of the Board of Trustees. Mm-hmm. As a parent-elected member of the board, you have a unique perspective, seeing both the strategy but also the implementation of the strategy. If you had to explain this concept of this dual identity or function to a new parent who sometimes asks whether a parent can get involved to this process, how would you approach uh, this discussion? Has your involvement as board member, change your thinking or appreciation about the school operation? One thing that you have to do if you want to become an elected member of the Board of Trustees, a parent elected member of the Board of Trustees, is know that you have to wear two hats. And these two hats are very distinct. You take one off and you put one on. So when you're sitting in the board, you're not a parent anymore. When you're outside, you're not a board member anymore. So... You have to have this distinction. You don't bring your children's problems or your children's grievances or whatever you hear within the parent community within the board because the board looks into the future of the school. And the future of the school is four or five years ahead, which my children won't be in the school by then. So it's bringing what you can to the future of the school. But what has made me better, yes, you do appreciate more, but it's not only being part of the board of trustees. I think one of the things that helped me you know, look into the school in an even different, get a greater appreciation was the school, was the sports banquet. The first time we went to the sports banquet because our children were in it, so it was like in middle school, that was an eye-opener. It's how actually the school, what I said a couple of minutes before, creates athlete scholars and how much important these two worlds are and how they're balanced and what they do and how they could move forward and how athletics can help children go about to other things as well. And you get values through sports and athletics that help you in other elements of your life as well. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. I am sure everyone's life journey is distinct and very different from everyone else's. And giving advice from your own experience could be uncertain with unpredictable results. However, your particular trip through your studies and professional life might inspire, if not guide someone. What part of your journey do you think can inspire a young person, someone who's trying to envision his or her dreams or someone who's preparing to change route and go a different way? Never stop. Persevere. I mean, find your calling and whatever. Try different things. Listen and learn constantly, I think. That's uh, something that's very important. And don't be afraid to ask. Don't hide behind the musts. It's easier in Greek to say what it is, you know, the prepi. Don't hide behind the musts and what people are supposed to see in you, but what you actually want. 
And it's been said, it hasn't been said by me that, you know, if you find what you love, you won't work a day in your life. And try to find your true calling, try different things, ask, look around, and don't be afraid to work. I think work ethic is one of those most important things that sometimes we forget. You know, hard work pays off in anything in life. Did you have a point in your uh, path that you said, I need to change, I need to go a different way? And either that or you made a change and you said, nah, that's not for me. No. <laughs> um, so you did what you planned? I didn't do what I planned. It kind of came to me. I don't know if I, don't know if I was one of the lucky ones. Uh, I was very happy and excited with what I did. One thing maybe that I want to look into the future that I think I'll do when I retire from the corporate world is what I've seen and I think might be my true calling is uh, teaching and facilitating. Uh, I did a course a couple of years back on facilitation and it was one of the most difficult courses I've ever done. Um, I was always a very polished public speaker and I knew that I was very good. So I went in, you know, with that kind of mentality that I got this, but facilitating and teaching is something completely different. And I got a huge slap on the face from my, uh, trainers that, you know, yeah, you're very polished, but who got what you said and who understood. So, um, that was a very, uh, tough course, uh, but very excited in the end. And what I got out of it is that I love teaching in a sense. So it might be my calling post uh, career. So now whenever a university, a college, a school, whatever calls me in to do like a presentation or a workshop or something, I jump on it because I love it. I thrive in that. And I love going back to, you know, the younger generation and giving back. And they're the toughest audience and give the toughest questions, much better than journalists, much better than anybody else that I've done presentations to. Because they're interested to hear your Yeah, most points. likely. Most likely. <laughs> you are in charge of communications for a multinational corporation, and you've been part of that corporate team for almost 20 years now. <laughs> It seems you got this job right out of college. <laughs> Judging from just that... Someone might characterize you as dedicated and dependable. I'm sure you have conducted many interviews in your career. Are you looking for such characteristics in candidates? Or do you believe the market has shifted towards more elastic work relations? I'm tough. So my interviews go to what I, I'm looking for, dedication and hard work. And to be completely honest, in terms of CVs, if we go into that, Uh, I don't like seeing CVs over than one, one and a half page max. Uh, and right out of college, uh, I'd rather see that you've done some work someplace, whatever type of work, whether it's seasonal work, part-time work, something that you sort of got that work ethic going than 50 different seminars or projects or presentations that have been done. So yes, I do look for that. And that's how I set up my teams in a sense. And someone who's just finishing uh, undergraduate mm -hmm. studies uh, and they're looking to go into their graduate studies, into their master's program, would you suggest or advise for them to go forward or would you suggest for them to go out in the market and figure out if the master's they're going to do is relevant to what they want to work with? 
definitely I made that mistake. I may, I went from college almost straight to masters. Um, I would have wanted more work uh, experience, not for the subject per se, because that fit me and I, I went about my way and it was what I wanted to do. But uh, the theory doesn't change. So I have same books, different editions from my college years to my postgrad years. Um, and I couldn't get the most out of it. So I went to the U.S. and the rest of uh, the team that we had in the NBA were like in their 40s and 45s. And that was amazing to me that how you can go back and continue your education. And I was 23. We couldn't relate. I was like their children's age. But I got so much out of them because they had actual work experience behind them. So take a step back, work, see what you want to do and what works for you, and then go about the master's. But don't forget the postgrad because sometimes uh, I've seen that happen. And I have a case at work where we pushed her to go back to her master's where, you know, the money starts coming in. It starts becoming fun. You don't want to stop your career, but at some point of time, you need that postgrad degree. Do you agree with uh, the opinion that uh, today's undergraduate degree is like the high school diploma 20 years ago? No, because the high school diploma is not what it was 20 years ago. Everything is so much more different, difficult now and different. No, high school is high school. College degree, you know, uh, is no, 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 no. Because it's more difficult now. Even high school isn't, the high school diploma is not like it was 20 years ago. What is the most essential skill of a communicator? What makes a good communicator? Listening. Listening to what's going on around them. Listening. And then taking that and creating. And in my career, what I've seen is that everybody can't be good in everything. So get the best people or the get the best colleagues or the best uh, companies to work with you that you can fix this globe of uh, communication and skills in a sense. So you you can't have the homes universalis. There like there isn't one person that can do everything, and try to find where you're good at, where your colleagues good at, and try to fix that uh, skill set. Is communications part of marketing or the other way around? The other way around, I think. The way at least we're, we're set up, the communication is the big thing and marketing is part of that. As you certainly know, ACS Athens runs a very unique project, uh, giving opportunities to young unaccompanied refugees to have an education through its Youth to Youth program. We've seen miracles happen through this program that materializes partly through the volunteer work of our students and faculty. A few years ago, you and your team won the Nansen Refugee Award. You mentioned then that for the first time in your life you were speechless. You don't seem to be easily in search of words. How important was that award for you? Oh, that was so important. That was that whole experience. I was in awe of these people and both for the volunteers and both of the refugees. I was speechless and that's not easy to do. Um, it was amazing. And uh, what the country was going through, what... What year was that? Uh, seven, 15, 15, 15, 15. Um, the country was going through a lot. It was right in the financial crisis. So it was, and how 
our community is so open to give back. That is amazing for me. And I was very proud of the Youth to Youth project. And from my professional side, uh, I work with the home project as well, where we fix their homes uh, for the unaccompanied children. And it was great to see. And I heard weird things also that do we want to bring refugees into the school, but I think this thing is so amazing and it does amazing things for the kids as well that it's a totally thumbs up for me. And how can we make it even bigger and better and go about it? Ms. Janeskis, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You are listening to the Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Make sure you subscribe to the Owlcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This has been a production of the ACS Athens Media Studio. Mm-hmm.